Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of tithing, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining that it was difficult sometimes for the Israelites to deliver their tithe to Jerusalem. The reason why it was difficult was, of course, because many people lived a significant distance from Jerusalem. And so if they were blessed, if they were productive, then they would have a lot that they would need to deliver. And the cost of transportation would make it very difficult for them to deliver their tithe. And so, of course, in the law, the Lord said that you can either consume it there within your gates or you could sell it for silver and then deliver the silver. Those were the two options that the Israelites had when it came to the delivery of their tithe. Now, they did not always deliver their tithe to Jerusalem. They didn't always do that. They would deliver their tithe to Jerusalem two out of every three years. And then the third year, they would deliver the tithe to the local Levites. So they would not always deliver their tithe to Jerusalem. They could deliver it locally one out of every three years, and that allowed them to move a lot more of their produce, of course, to the local Levites. That was the schedule of distribution. Now, of course, they would still be responsible to go to Jerusalem during the appointed festivals. They had to be in Jerusalem during the Passover. They had to be there during the Feast of Weeks, and they had to be there during the Feast of Tabernacles. That was required by law. It was a convenient time for them to deliver their tithe, but again, one out of three years, the tithe would be delivered to the local Levites. Now, in this program, I would like to start out by explaining the responsibilities of the Levites, because they did have responsibilities. In a previous program, I did explain that they had no right to own land. Now, there were circumstances where the Levitical tribe could have possession of plots of land. That was the case. But in general, private ownership was not permitted. That was generally not permitted. And so if they wanted to farm, there was land that was generally given to them according to some of the laws that the Lord gave concerning making land holy and dedicating it to the Levites, things like that. There were opportunities for that. However, in general, the Levites had no ability to have land, and so they had no ability to produce wealth in the context of the land and productivity. They had no ability to really store wealth, and they in general had no ability to own housing that would be built on land. They had no ability to own property. Today, things are, of course, very different. There are many people who expect others to tithe like Israelites, generally to them, but they, as pastors or priests or ministers, they don't seem to want to live like a Levite. That seems to be a little odd to me. I think there's a disconnect taking place there when it comes to the subject of obedience. I understand that there are some priests who do live that way. I'm not saying that they all do. 
I'm just saying that there is another opportunity to see a disconnect between some people saying others have to obey the law, but other people don't. They don't have to obey the law. They are somehow above that, I suppose. People have different attitudes concerning that. I just wanted to mention that, that if somebody expects you to tithe like an Israelite, you might want to bring that up and ask them if they are living like a Levite. That might provide an opportunity for some very stimulating conversation. But in this program, what I would really like to get into is the subject of the responsibilities of the Levites. Now, of course, in the law, we have explanations concerning their responsibilities. First of all, they had to resolve conflicts. And I explained this in a previous program, that the tithe was to be used in order to support the government, to support the judicial system, in order to provide the resources that people would need in order to take their time to go and resolve other people's conflicts. That was a very important purpose for the tithe. And you must understand this in order to understand some of the other common passages that people use in order to encourage people to tithe, which I will be addressing in future programs. But in this program, I wanted to emphasize that that is a very important point to understand, that you must understand that the Levites had the responsibility to be the judicial system in the nation of Israel and the resources that they needed in order to take their time to perform those functions came from the other tribes. And so the success of the other tribes was very important in order to ensure that the judicial system, that the Levites, would also have the resources that they would need in order to be available to perform these functions. There was a codependent relationship between the Levites and the Israelites. If the Israelites failed, if they experienced failure and were not able to supply the Levites with the resources that they needed, then the Levites would have to go and find something else to do. They wouldn't be able to take their time to resolve the conflicts that were taking place within the Israelite society. They would not be available to perform the functions that were necessary in order to maintain and sustain civilization. And so this codependent relationship was a very important relationship that our God set up, and the Levites would have an interest in the success of the other Israelites, which is why they would have an incentive to do the right thing. They would have an incentive to always follow the law, to enforce the law. The incentive would be there. They would need an incentive to encourage them to do the right thing. If they chose not to do the right thing, then that would probably require a bribe of some kind. Someone would have to pay him off, would have to pay off a judge. But if a Levite received payment like that, what's going to happen when he spends it? When he spends it, people are going to notice. People are going to see that this Levite is living a lot better than the other Levites are. It's going to be much easier to identify a corrupt judge, a corrupt Levite, it will be much easier in the system because the Levite was not permitted to own property. This is very important to understand. If you are going to understand how the Levites ensured the integrity of the society. Now, the second responsibility that the Levites had that I would like to refer to is the responsibility for public health and safety. Throughout the scriptures, you will see many laws that refer to public health and safety. And who was it that ensured that those laws were followed? 
laws such as cleanliness and uncleanliness when it came to people or buildings, when a person had to go outside of the camp and could not come back inside of the camp until certain conditions were met, the Levites had the responsibility to ensure that buildings were condemned if necessary or destroyed if necessary. All of these responsibilities were given to the Levites to ensure that there was health and safety there in the land of Israel. They were the ones who were responsible for that. Now, the third point that I would like to mention is the service at the temple. The Levites were responsible for performing service at the temple. Now, this is a very important responsibility. However, considering this responsibility, what was the cost of fulfilling this responsibility. If you look through the scriptures, there is the appearance that it was the majority of the cost, especially when you consider that two-thirds of the tithe was delivered to Jerusalem and one-third was delivered to the local Levites. But if you heard the previous program, you heard my explanation that the Levites in Jerusalem received a lot less than 10% of what people produced significantly less when you consider the travel that people would have to undertake to get to Jerusalem and to stay there for a period of time and then to be able to go back home. All of this required, it required a significant expense. The people had to pay for that. The people were required to be in Jerusalem during the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a convenient time for them to deliver their tithe. They had a harvest that they could bring with them. They brought that with them in order to cover their expenses to fulfill their responsibilities to the law of God. The Levites would receive what was left after they consumed, after the people consumed the tithe. The Levites would receive what was left over from that consumption. And then they would be able to perform the services that they performed at the temple. Now, the temple did have an expense. There was expense there. But it was insignificant Again, the expenses of operating the temple were insignificant compared to the expenses of resolving conflicts in the local regions, in the local communities, and also to ensure public health and safety. The cost of ensuring all of that and enforcing all of the laws in the local areas, the cost was much greater than the cost of maintaining the temple in Jerusalem. And so the scriptures do give the impression that the majority of the wealth did go to Jerusalem. But when you consider the consumption factor, I would venture to say that the majority, maybe not a significant majority, but at least a recognizable majority of the resources would have gone to the local Levites, and they would be able to use those resources to perform their governmental functions. Now, there were other responsibilities that the Levites had. They were given the responsibility of caring for the widows. The widows were the elderly people who were not able to work hard enough to produce enough so that they could sustain themselves. Their consumption was greater than their production. If your consumption is greater than your production, then you have what is called a deficit. And when you have a deficit, someone else has to make up that difference, has to pay for that deficit. Otherwise, you are going to be in real trouble. 
When it comes to eating, it's necessary for people to eat or they will starve and die. And so the Levites were there in order to feed the widows and the orphans as well. Young children who were not capable of producing more than they needed to consume. The Levites were there in order to distribute the tithe that they received to those who were unable to take care of themselves. And of course, the Levites would determine who was incapable of taking care of themselves. The Levites would recognize that an individual needed to consume more than they were capable of producing, and so the Levites would make up the difference for them. That was their function, and being done on a local level in the society, it was much easier to ensure that the resources were distributed appropriately. They also provided for the aliens, and that doesn't mean the aliens from outer space. It means the people who would be coming from a foreign land. Now, this was a very important function because if someone was traveling from a long distance, they are not going to be able to easily carry all of the resources that they need or perhaps that they would like. There would be a significant temptation a significant temptation that the aliens could experience that they might want to steal something from someone else. And since they're just passing through, by the time somebody figured out that something was stolen, they might be out of town. They're traveling, they're just passing through, they might take some things that don't belong to them because they would like them or perhaps they have a need for them. And so because of this risk, the Levites were given the responsibility to provide resources to anyone who was passing through. Anyone who was coming from a foreign country and going through the land of Israel could go to the Levitical priests and ask them for some assistance with their travels. And the Levitical priesthood was there to provide the foreigner, to provide the alien with whatever resources they needed. Generally, the food, of course, was distributed for that purpose, because that's what they would need, for the most part, if they are going from one place to another. The cost of food would be a significant expense. So the Levites had these functions. These were the responsibilities of the Levites, and they were able to fulfill these responsibilities by providing the Israelites with the maximum amount of freedom and security so they could work. So they could work, they could be productive, they could produce, they could generate a significant amount of wealth, and then they would be able to give a portion of that to the Levites so that they could fulfill their responsibilities. Now, when it comes to the New Covenant, you might wonder, how is it that the people are going to function in the church in a similar way as the Israelites functioned in their society. And I don't mean that we have to take all of the laws of Moses and find some way to apply them to the church. That is definitely not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there are opportunities for conflicts, even though people are Christians. There are opportunities for public health and safety concerns. There are opportunities for caring for those who are in need. There are opportunities for that. And so what do we have in the New Covenant? What do we have in the church in order to perform these functions? Well, this is a very involved subject, and so I have to mention some other programs that I have done on it. Probably the most applicable programs to this question or to this subject 
are the programs that I did on Jesus, Jesus the prophet, Jesus the priest, and Jesus the king. And in this case, it would be Jesus the priest. I did a set of programs describing Jesus as our priest. And in those programs, I explained that our God, who manifested in the flesh as the Lord Jesus, now dwells within us. He dwells within us as his people. And he guides us internally by his spirit. He guides us internally and personally in such a way that if we are going to engage the world around us, he will guide us, he will lead us, he will speak to us, he will teach us. And I sincerely believe that if we are having a conflict with someone else, the living God and dwelling within his people will speak to his people and he will be the one who will guide us to resolve our conflicts. I really do believe that. And so we do not need a specific priesthood. I don't believe that he wants to see a specific priesthood that we would turn to in order to resolve our conflicts. When it comes to public health and safety, the Holy Spirit will speak to us and tell us that if our homes are filled with mildew and mold, that we should tear them down. We don't need some pastor or priest to come into our homes and inspect our homes on a regular basis to ensure there isn't any mold or mildew in our house. We have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling within us. Our God is the one who is our priest. He is our priest in a personal and intimate way. I believe that. I really do believe that when he said that he is our high priest, that there is a description of a different priesthood who we now turn to, that the old one had its place and had its purpose, but the new one is the Lord Jesus. It's not some board of elders or board of pastors or something like that. When it comes to caring for those who are in need, the Lord guides his people. I interact with a lot of people, and as a pastor, I have discovered that there is no need for me to assemble some kind of committee to perform this function. I have observed, I have seen, I have witnessed, I am testifying of what I have witnessed, that the Holy Spirit guides people to give to others who are in need, that there is no need to have a specific group of Levites or priests or pastors put aside for that purpose. Now, I understand that some people do that, and I'm not saying that they should be dismantled. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I am saying very directly is for us to assume that that is necessary takes away from what I believe our God wants. I believe that he wants to guide his people personally. I don't see any evidence in the new covenant that he needs a new priesthood besides himself. I see him in the new covenant as being our priest, and so we should depend on him and trust in him. And I believe the more that we do that, the more we will see the reality of this. The more that we trust in him, the more he will be able to reveal himself to us and show us that he really is trustworthy. If he guides you, if he leads you in such a way that you would do something for someone else, then by all means do it. If he guides you in such a way that you have the ability to resolve a conflict with someone who's close to you, then by all means do it. You don't always need to go find some authority of some kind to resolve your conflicts. 
you can take responsibility for the things that you are responsible for that you have done. And in general, that tends to resolve most conflicts in people's lives just by taking responsibility for their own actions, apologizing if necessary, providing some compensation of some kind if necessary. We do not always need someone else to solve our problems. The Apostle Paul spoke about this in one of his letters to the church, that we should not go to unbelievers to resolve our conflicts, that we should be able to resolve our own conflicts. Now, at this time, I'm going to begin to address many of the common passages that people turn to to discuss the subject of tithing. I'm going to begin to do that. Of course, I'm going to need another program or two in order to address these common passages that people turn to, but I would like to at least get started in this one, and then, of course, I'll pick up and explain this again in the next program. The first set of passages that I would like to address are found in Hebrews chapter 7. And the reason why I would like to start with these is because When the subject of tithing comes up and I begin to discuss the subject with other people, this is the most popular set of passages that are brought up. And I believe that there is a good reason why people bring up Hebrews chapter 7, and that is because there is an opportunity to describe tithing as something that is before the law of Moses. Throughout this study that I have done on the subject of tithing, I have made the assumption that tithing is only in the law of Moses and was only given for the purpose of establishing and sustaining the nation of Israel. I, of course, hold to that assumption. I do believe that that is the truth, that that is the case. However, there are many people who believe that tithing was before the Old Covenant. This is why it's so important for people to believe this. If this is true... If this is true, then they can say that tithing should continue to exist after the Old Covenant. That's why people like this, because it is a convenient way to say that tithing exists today, just like it did before Moses, and we should observe it. And of course, because I am on the payroll of the church, I expect you to give, and I'll give too, but I expect you to give because... Well, that's how I get compensated for the work that I perform with the church. This is the kind of attitude that a lot of people have. So I understand that this is a very important point that a lot of people address. But I will tell you, of course, very directly that I do not see any evidence in Hebrews chapter 7, any evidence at all to suggest that tithing was before the law, let alone to suggest that tithing would be after the law. The reason why I say that is because Abraham did not give a tenth of his produce. He did not give a tenth of his income even. What he gave was a tenth of the plunder that he acquired during war. That's what he gave. He didn't give a tenth of his flock. He didn't give a tenth of his herd. If he gathered grain, he didn't give a tenth of that either. He gave a tenth of the plunder that he acquired during war. That is not giving a tenth of his produce. And so you cannot call it a tithe by that kind of a definition. The other thing that I want you to understand is that even though it is mentioned that the Levites gave a tithe through Abraham, the only reason why that was the case was because they did not receive as much of an inheritance as they would have received 
if Abraham kept all of the plunder. That's what he is explaining, that in a way, the Levites were not able to receive all of the inheritance that Abraham would have been able to give. Now, if you look at the life of Abraham, Isaac, and especially Jacob and Joseph, if you look at these generational transitions, you should recognize that the wealth that Abraham had was virtually gone by the time the Levitical tribe was established. Gone in various ways. It was gone in the sense, first of all, that when the sons of Jacob had to go to Egypt in order to find food, they were starving. They were hungry. They had very little left. They did have money that they could use to buy food, but they eventually moved there. And when they moved there, they didn't have that much. They didn't have as much as you would anticipate because they found themselves in a situation that they had to go outside of their own local economy in order to survive. You need to also recognize that when the new Pharaoh came, who did not know Joseph or who did not remember Joseph, when the new Pharaoh came and he put the Israelites in slavery, he enslaved them He effectively took possession of everything they had. That was part of their enslavement. And so that was another opportunity for Abraham's wealth to be taken by somebody else. And so if you really want to get technical, there wasn't much of an inheritance that the Levites received anyway. That was not significant. Many people focus on that aspect in Hebrews chapter 7. But I believe that that is so insignificant that it's just about not worth mentioning. It's worth mentioning because it's there, but not in the context of how we function, not in the context of how we live, not in that sense. Hebrews chapter 7 has to do with something entirely different. It has to do with explaining that there was someone who was greater than Abraham. That was the purpose for bringing up Melchizedek and tithing in Hebrews chapter 7, and I will explain this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you.